Denise Moak is the author of Broken Chair, A Daughter's Journey, a work of historical fiction that follows the journey of four generations of women as they try to survive the sexist restrictions of their times. A key character in the story, Rita, is based on Denise's mother. And I always wanted to tell my mother's story because of all the women I knew, she... I I can't say I ever really understood her until I wrote the book. And if there's somebody in your life that you have struggling relationships, write a book about them because you'll find out so much about yourself and them. It's just an incredible thing to do. To use the cliche, Denise says she walked a mile in her mum's moccasins in order to learn about and develop her character. And I did that with every single character in the book. I tried to understand where they were coming from. And um, if you do it non-judgmentally, you're looking at the, at the, you know, if they were a nasty character for some reason, you're, you're going to try and find the part of them that was a little bit redeeming and kind of walk around in that and tell their story. And uh, that's what I tried to do with all the characters. Denise says she never really viewed herself as a writer and became involved in everything from politics to pottery and painting, but kept coming back to writing. For the first time in my life, I found something that I was really good at because when you write, you're not comparing your writing to anybody else's. You're doing it for yourself. And, you know, if you're doing pottery, there's 5,000 potters out there and, and it's going to be hard to look, <laughs> you know. So I, I wanted to try everything I could in my life and I landed on writing and that's what I've been doing ever since. Denise says everyone is really good at something. You just have to figure out what that is. Don't let anybody discourage you because, and just tell yourself, if somebody's trying to discourage you or poo-poo your efforts or anything like that, um, if you believe in yourself, you'll just say, well, they're wrong and I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Author Denise Moak on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. For the first time in two years... I am actually sitting down in person with someone to interview them for Run It Like a Girl. And that someone is a very special person to me. Um, I've known her for most of my life, um, since I was about 15, 16 years old. Um, And she's also my mother-in-law because I married her wonderful uh, son, Dan. So I really wanted to have Denise on today. Her name is Denise because... We've known each other forever. She's just had such an interesting and cool life. And now she's, well, she's always been an author, but now she has her book out there and I wanted everyone to have the opportunity to hear about it. So Denise, thank you so much for joining me for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Well, this is a thrill for me, Bonnie, because I have known you for just about two weeks short of forever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been a, a pleasure to have you in my life. We were friends before you were married, before you started dating my son. Absolutely, we were. (laughs) And many nights spent at your house where the guys would all be out in the garage and me and a girlfriend would be sitting around your kitchen table chatting. Yeah, or in the (laughs) living room. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I remember uh, because you, uh, as a creative person, would always change your house around quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And so the dining room was sometimes, you know, where the living room is. The living room was sometimes where the dining room is. Um, It was always so much fun to go over and just chat with you and spend... um, Spent a lot of time with you. So yeah, yeah we've uh, known each other for a long time. So thank you again. <laughs> My pleasure. So uh, how I like to kind of start these is let's just talk about about you. So in terms of, you know, your background, where you, uh, where you came from, where you grew up, and then how you decided that writing is what you wanted to do. Okay, well, I was born in Ottawa, uh, lived there for 12 years, and then we moved to Quebec for seven years. 
Then I lived in Hong Kong for two years, which was very interesting. I got a job working for an import-export company, and uh, that was pretty exciting. Uh, that was a long time ago, but uh, all my best memories are of that place. And uh, then I returned to Canada and um, lived alone and worked my buns off uh, in Toronto for seven years. And then I met my husband, Jim, and uh, we got married seven weeks after we met, <laughs> which everybody said it wouldn't last, but that was 50 years ago. So I think we're a pretty safe bet. And, um, yeah, and the rest is history, as they say. So it's funny because I want because I've always known you as um, uh, a mother from rural Ontario, Sterling. Oh, yeah. We live very, oh, I forgot very, about the firm. Thanks very for- small. <laughs> yeah. um, but you actually, you know, Hong Kong, Toronto, um, you know, m- metropolitan places where you had a whole other life before you had Dan and, and his yeah. lovely sister, Teresa, who actually has also been on the podcast a couple yeah. of se- years ago. Um, but how did you end up coming from Toronto to Sterling? Well, I met Jim and, uh, as you know, he can change lives <laughs> and, uh, we were married for about three years, I guess. And, uh, he had the misfortune of buying this book called Five Acres and in Independence. And then he said to me one day, if you can be independent on five acres, imagine what you could do with a hundred. And so uh, his sister had bought a farm out this way. And uh, then we bought a farm, a hundred acres. And I called it the spaghetti farm because it was a thousand yards wide and a mile long. And uh, I've always been one. I, I'm, I'm kind of a free spirit, which is why the rooms of my house always change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I'm willing to try anything. I'll do anything once. If I don't like it, I won't do it again. So I thought, well, this is great. So I went from um, cocktail parties, ball gowns, fancy dress parties, jewelry dripping off of everything, to uh, uh, muddy boots and chicken and all the things that they offer you. And uh, we had uh, cows and horses and pigs and the whole nine yards, and I loved every second of it because I just always love what I'm doing at that particular moment. And you had a newborn too when you moved. Oh, <laughs> we had, I had Teresa on Friday. Uh, we were, uh, moved, Jim was moving furniture back and forth for about three weeks. Um, we moved to the farm on Saturday. I got out of the hospital on Monday. We moved to the farm the following Saturday and it was a nightmare. It was just, you know, like, it was just too much with the newborn, but we got through it, and uh, that was that was pretty exciting times. Yeah, great big, huge, four five thousand square foot farmhouse and barns and chickens. And Jim was always bringing home an animal. One day, I saw him walking down the road, and he's got a a, a Guernsey cow on a leash. And all I could think of was Jack and the Beanstalk <laughs> and his magic beans. And here he comes. What has he gotten us into? <laughs> That's, that's awesome. And Dan lived there for the first uh, few years of his life. I think he said to about seven or eight, maybe. Seven or eight, yeah. Um, but it's a very um, memorable part of his life. He talks yeah. a lot about being yeah. on the farm. And yeah. and probably, you know, one of the reasons that we knew we were always going to eventually come back here, even though we moved to the city as well. Um, so you became farmers for a while. And then, uh, and then you obviously sold the farm. 
Uh, what I'd love to know is how did you decide also to take your family on a road trip from sea to sea? Or sea. ocean to ocean. Ocean to ocean, say. yeah. Well, in 1986, um, we hit, in 85, I think, it was 84, 85, we moved to Belleville and hated it. Didn't li- I live there now, and I absolutely adore it. I think it's just a great place to live. But it, we ha- had the right house in the wrong location. So um, anyway, we decided 3 o'clock in the morning when all the best decisions are made. Uh, Jim says, what do you say we sell the house, store, furniture, and go across Canada? <laughs> so I said, sure. When do we leave? You know. So we, that's exactly what we did. We stored all our furniture, and we decided... Uh, I don't know if I can say this, but Jim decided he wanted to pee in both oceans. (laughs) (laughs) So we started in Prince Edward Island, and we went straight across to Vancouver. He did the deeds, and we thought if there's any place in between that we find that we fall in love with, we'll just move there, and we didn't. And my daughter was adamant about coming back to Sterling, so that's what we did. We bought a home there, and we lived there for 30 years. Yes, Uh, and that's the home that I have a a ton of ton of memories in yeah. um obviously and I still drive by <laughs> it um every once in a while and and always look <laughs> yeah it's not the same <laughs> see, house see what's going on <laughs> yeah but um and then I also remember I I don't remember how old I was but that you were always writing or you always had something on yeah. the go like yeah. and that just seems to be yeah part of who you are um I want to talk about about your your first book and the labor of love that it was for you yeah. Uh, how did how did that come to be, and and how did you get from starting to finishing and publishing? Yeah. Well, I've always written uh, poetry, uh, not a lot. Um, I think poetry is the most personal kind of writing that you do because it's so concise, and it's very intense if you do it properly. And uh, I've written short stories and that sort of thing. Eh? And one day I was sitting out in the backyard in the swing set that we mm-hmm. always used to spend yeah. so much time on. And I was talking to my brother that lives in New Brunswick. And I don't know, I'll never remember how the conversation came up. But he said to me, did you know that mom spelt her middle name with an H? And I said, I did not know that. And we talked for a while. I hung up the phone. I went in and I got myself a... Uh, a school size workbook sat down and wrote the first 11 pages of my book what's her name rita rita with an uh, it was alice rita um but it was Re- and i always wanted to tell my mother's story because of all the women i knew she i i can't say i ever really understood her until i wrote the book and if there's somebody in your life that you have struggling relationships write a book about them because you'll find out so much about yourself and them. It's just an incredible thing to do. And I just started writing the story of her life. And she had told me snippets of this and that, very guarded because that's what they did in those days. And I just wrote down all the events that she told me, the people that she told me. Everything in my book actually happened. How it happened, I don't know. Because she didn't, so that's the part where I put on her moccasins and I walked for a mile. And I did that with every single character in the book. I tried to understand where they were coming from. And um, if you do it non-judgmentally, you're looking at the, the, you know, if they were a nasty character for some reason, you're going to try and find the part of them that was a little bit redeeming and kind of walk around in that and tell their story. And uh, that's what I tried to do with all the characters. 
Mm. One character, George, not a happy man. So I gave him what I think is a beautiful love story. And when I finished writing it and my husband read it, he uh, he said, you, did that really happen? And I said, I sure hope so. For once in his life that he had this wonderful love affair, you know. That's what <laughs> <All>, happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I, I, I love George and I love that I gave him that story. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's how I started. Rita, did you know she had an H in the name? <laughs> yeah. Who knew that that was going to be the moment that a yeah. uh, labor of love started for you? Um, so it is a generational book. Tell us a yeah. little bit about the book. It's obviously about your family. Yeah. Um, uh, well, my mother was born in 1912 and uh, lived through that last wonderful, horrible uh, pandemic. Her mother uh, was pregnant for her seventh child when she passed away. And the only surviving members of the family were her and her father. And um, the impact that that had on her life throughout her life, what it does to a relationship when you lose everybody. And she lost her father three years later. So I tell all the stories of how that happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, apparently they tell me it's a real page turner. (laughs) It is. It is a page turner. It's excellent. Um, So let's talk a little bit about perseverance. Mm -hmm. Because uh, your book that you wrote, it it took you a long long time from start to finish. So how do you, how do you keep going? How do you come over frustrations? How do you keep moving Um, forward? Well, I've, I'm lucky. I've never had writer's block, but I did take lots of breaks in between because as you know, I got involved in politics and all sorts of things. (laughs) And I never saw myself as a writer. So I would just write when I could squeeze it in. And in the meantime, I was doing pottery. I was painting. I was doing this, that, and the other thing. But then I start, when I started looking back at the work I was doing, I thought, this is not bad. As a matter of fact, it's pretty good. And I think for the first time in my life, I found something that I was really good at. Because when you write, you're not comparing your writing to anybody else's. You're doing it for yourself. And, you know, if you're doing pottery, there's 5,000 potters out there, and, and it's going to be hard to look... <laughs> You know, so I I wanted to try everything I could in my life and I landed on writing and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and is there anything else that you want to try? What else do you've got on your bucket list? Uh, just writing. Just writing. Just eh? writing. Because you're now writing your second book. Yes, I've got, <clears throat> I think it's actually two books. It's going to end up being two books because uh, they're two different stories and Yeah. And they're they're going to they're going to be a lot more difficult in a lot of ways because they're a lot more current, and um, the subject matter can be you know a little whatever. Uh, so I I go in between the two of them, and uh, I haven't got a working title yet. Uh, I'm still plugging away, and determined that uh, I'm going to get them done. Yeah. So what's your process then? So, you know, I think uh, I've only ever actually had one other writer on uh, on the podcast. And I thought it was so interesting. You know, she, for her, she has a group of women that she talks about. They, they go away together and they talk about writing and they challenge each other and they help each other through their, their processes. But what does that look like for you? Uh, well, I, I used to belong to a writing group years ago. And um, my mentor was Jess Bond. And she wrote and she was 
into early 90s. And by that time, she was maybe writing a sentence or two a day, but she never let a day go by without writing. So she always inspired me to keep on going. She she uh, read my work. She enjoyed it, all that sort of thing. And, and she just made me believe in myself because... I cannot say that I've had a lot of people that actually believed in me over the years. So it was good to have somebody that was doing the same thing I was telling me that I was doing it really well. So that kept me going. Uh, with COVID, there's no writers groups. I'd no. love to have one going and book clubs and that sort of thing, eh? But, uh, yeah. Maybe it'll come back now, slowly. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I know there's a couple of people said they want me to come and speak to their group. So we'll see. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just picked up something you said that I want to chat about for a minute. So you talk about not having many people in your life that believed in you. So again, I think that comes to perseverance yeah. um, and, and belief in yourself. Yeah. So what would you say to someone else that doesn't have someone in their corner, but they know they want to try something, might be writing, could be something else. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's, well, who knows what it is. Um, what would you say to them? Well, I think we're all really good at something, and it's just a matter of finding what it is that you're really good at. And don't let anybody discourage you, because, and just tell yourself, if somebody's trying to discourage you or poo-poo your efforts or anything like that, um, if you believe in yourself, you'll just say, well, they're wrong, and I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And um, it, I don't know if that's human nature I have no idea, but uh, I believe anybody can do anything that they want eventually. And it, if it takes time, it takes time, you know. What do, you know, you just, you have to stick with it. And um, if you're having a bad time, get up, walk around, go and do something, do something for a week, do something for a month, but come back to it. And if you have dogged determination, it will, you'll, you'll get where you want to go. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and that kind of leads, maybe this isn't the smoothest transition, but uh, so you did talk about other things that you've done, like pottery, politics, um, you, you're active volunteer still. Yeah. How do you make sure that you carve out time for writing? Uh, I try to do it uh, every day. If I'm really lucky, I get three or four days a week. And I just sit down and close my office door. And uh, that's it. Once I'm doing it, I'm in the zone and I just keep on going, and I blink, and four hours have gone by. So I would rather take uh, fewer days and highly concentrate on, on what I'm doing. Um, I love spending time with my characters, you know, so to me, that every, every day that I write is a gift. Excellent. So now, um, or a question that I ask every single guest for the last four years, um, coming up on 100, I think, um, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with yourself at 20, 21 years old, what would you be talking about and what kind of advice would you give? Uh, well, when I was 20 or 21 years old and probably for quite a few years after that, people would always tell me, um, what, uh, give me the Coles notes, give me the shortened version. But I, when I tell a story, I like to tell a story, you know, and, you know, the, the world sees everything in black and white, eh? And I can remember this one uh, person in my life uh, who always used to say, oh, you exaggerate so much and everything like that. And then finally, after about 20 years, I looked at him one day and I says, well, you know what? Some people see the world in black and white. I happen to see it in technicolor. <laughs> and that was kind of life-changing for me. 
you know, so I would tell that 20-year-old person, believe in yourself, people are going to put you down, that's their problem, not yours. That's what I would tell myself. Excellent. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I think it's such important advice, especially now, and for whatever age you're at, um, because it's so easy to get discouraged by what other, uh, by other people's words. Yeah. But they really don't, it doesn't mean anything. And I also like that saying, what do they say? Um, what someone else thinks of you is none of your business. Right. Right? And yeah. to try to, to remember that. Because yeah. words hurt. Yeah. Um, and they can chip away at someone's uh, self-confidence yeah. and self-esteem and all of that. So I think for, for young people, for older people, anybody, it's, a, it's an important message. Yeah. The other thing I'd say, too, is that most of the time people are saying things they don't even realize they're hurtful. Mm. You know, so it might be a sore spot that you've got caused by something else a long time ago, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, most, I think, I'd like to think that most of the time people really aren't trying to be cruel. Probably. Yeah. yeah that's sometimes a... they are. And then that really isn't your problem. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but I think you're right. So I think also self-awareness and yeah. Yeah. knowing your own worth yeah. and what you're bringing to the table. So that brings us to the end of our formal questions. Mm -hmm. So now we have something called the fast three. It's just three pieces of information on, on what kind of inspires you and keeps you going so that others can, you know, maybe check it out. And the first question is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? Next to yours. <laughs> uh, I love Alec Baldwin. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I like, um, uh, oh, Eleanor Wachtel, Writers and Company. And Sheila Rogers, she does Between the Covers. If you're an aspiring writer, first of all, they're so easy to listen to. And the people they interview are so interesting. And you will learn a lot about writing. Bring a paper, bring a pen. It'll trigger things that you want to write about. And uh, so they're my favorite podcasts. Excellent. Yeah. What are you currently reading? Uh, currently reading a detective story. Uh <laughs> whose title has left me, but I, <laughs> I just finished reading uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, book with uh, uh, Penny, um, Louise Penny, uh, it, it called Terror, uh, uh, State of Terror. State of Terror. I, that was, I did that one in two days. Yeah. That, was, that was a good book. And um, uh, oh, The Yellow House, which I thought I was getting the book about a yellow house in Louisiana. It turned out to be a yellow house in um, Ireland. That was quite the story. Made me mad. Oh. I was so angry with the lead character in the book, and I kept on sticking with her. Finally, at the end, she becomes aware. And that was the, the part that bothered me, is that she was so unaware. <laughs> anyway, got through that one. And A Gentleman in Moscow. I loved that one. Yeah. Awesome. Well, there you go. Those will be in the show notes so people can check them out. And last question, who is currently inspiring you? The women in my life. Ah. Yes, the women in my life. You, Teresa, uh, Sarah, Linda. Uh, they're just, they're just, well, you're the loves of my life. And uh, I want to live my life trying to inspire you and um, show you that Old age can be fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm coming yeah. closer and closer to it. So <laughs> fun good, and productive. Good to know. And uh, well, yeah. And I mean, you you have a very special place in uh, in my heart and in our family, obviously. And um, this has been really fun. But before I close, I do have to ask: Where can someone get your book if they're interested in reading it? Uh, you can get it on Amazon. And I'm doing a book signing at Chapters in Belleville on May 15th. 
from 10 until 2. And um, my email address is denise.moke at icloud.com. And if you've read the book, you can contact me there. If you want a copy, I can mail you one. Um, but you should be able to get it at Amazon. Yep. That's the fastest way to get it. And you get it the next day. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, that's how I got mine. Um, well, Denise, thank you so much for coming over today and, and hanging out with me. This has been, uh, this has been fantastic. And uh, I can't wait for everyone to hear our conversation. Me too. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what I said. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's what I look forward to as well. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.